I brought Monster Energy's new alcohol today. And I'm going to crack the it open right now for you. Yeah, here you go. For those of you... Um, oh yeah, ASMR. For those of you wondering, we talked about Unleash the Beast on a on an earlier episode. So Ray, live taste test. We're about to see how it is. And this <laughs> is the Mean Green, which smells like original Monster. So we're gonna see if it tastes like it. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Social Drinkers podcast, where every Thirsty Thursday, we talk about the art, the science, and the industry of alcohol. What is up, everybody? Just living my best life over here. What uh, what did you guys bring to drink this week? So I brought something very special to drink, and Kate brought the same thing. Um, for those of you that haven't listened to previous episodes, we are married. So when we drink sometimes, at most of the time, whatever I make is for the two of us. But this is my favorite. And if you listen to episode one of the podcast, I said you'd learn real quick that I love Manhattans. And I brought a good old Manhattan tonight. And I'm very excited. Good stuff. Yeah. I'm assuming that Kate has the same thing down there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was... I was going to say something about me is that I am really not the cook of the household. I am really not the uh, bartender of the household. I would say I'm like the baker and the coffee maker of the household. And then Mitch handles the other things. So typically whenever we have a drink, he has made it. I think you sell yourself a little short on the cooking part. I will say you're, you're definitely not the mixologist. Not that you can't do it, but you don't do that very often, but you cook a lot. And when you cook, it's really good. Um, but why don't you tell people about the Manhattan? If you want, I can tell people a little bit about the Manhattan. I'll tell the recipe I use. Let's give people a little bit of insight if they're wondering what a Manhattan consists of. Yeah. So a Manhattan is bourbon based. It's bourbon, vermouth, and Angostura bitters. It is sweet vermouth not dry vermouth. There's two different vermouths. Dry is something that you would use in a drink like a martini and sweet is something you would use say in Manhattan or it's really common in Negronis, which have been super popular lately. So you can use the, I think that really the key to it's, let me back up for a second. I'm like, I have so many thoughts because you know, we (laughs) love Manhattans over here. The key to a good Manhattan is a few things. You need it needs to be extra cold. You need to have good bourbon. You need to have good vermouth. If you don't have any of those three things, I feel like it, you can miss. And um, I think that's really what makes a Manhattan good. And you don't serve it on the rocks. You serve it up. I've seen people serve it on the rocks, but that is not how traditionally it should be served. No. And it makes me so angry when I go somewhere and I order Manhattan and they say up or on the rocks, up, 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 always up. That's how a Manhattan is served. I get so heated about this. One time I sent a drink back because it was so piss poor and I was so mad at the Manhattan. I'm not going to say the establishment that wronged me in this way, but it was horrible, horrible, horrible. It was horrible. more... 
it was more than it being on the rocks. It was disgusting. It was just not even a Manhattan. They should just should not have called it one. Okay, so here's the deal, right? With a Manhattan, technically, it has a maraschino cherry in it. I don't make mine with maraschino cherries. I don't like maraschino cherries. Not that much. I would much rather have a little bit of citrus. I did a lemon twist on this one. I like that flavor profile better than the maraschino cherry. This place took maraschino cherry to a new level and put cherry juice in their Manhattan and then proceeded to tell me after I tasted it and tasted like medicine that that's their tavern Manhattan. Are you freaking kidding me? It was horrible. Sent it back, got a glass of red wine. We'll never order a cocktail from this place ever again. It was horrible, but you're right. This is a very spirit forward cocktail. And what that means is you're going to taste heavy amount of bourbon. That's the spirit that you're using, the base spirit. That's why it has to be good. Some of you are probably laughing because when Kate said the key is a few things, you have to have good sweet vermouth, good bourbon, and it's got to be really cold. Yes, two out of the three things that are in the drink have to be good. Otherwise, it's going to be a pretty rough sip, I think. So um, as you can tell, I get very emotional about the way that my cocktails are served to me when I'm out. But um, yeah, I, I think, do you want to tell them about vermouth too? I think you have a really fun fact that almost nobody knows about vermouth. And admittedly, we don't always abide by. <laughs> well, we haven't even gotten into race drink yet. So for the <laughs> sake of time, we'll save that for another episode because I feel like we've kind of gone on a Manhattan tangent. So Ray, what are you drinking? Well, I want to start off by telling Mitch that he's bringing a very um, Michael Scott, I send it back kind of energy today. <laughs> and I'm loving it. I'm loving every bit of it. And I'm going to snowball off that and uh, say, speaking of energy, I brought Monster Energy's Whoa! new alcohol today. And I'm going to crack the it right now for you. Yeah, here you go. For those of you... Um, oh yeah, ASMR. For those of you wondering, we talked about Unleash the Beast on a on an earlier episode. So Ray, live taste test. We're about to see how it is. And this <laughs> is the Mean Green, which smells like original Monster. So we're gonna see if it tastes like it. Almost identical. Really? See, that's what I, mean, I said. That's what I said on the one episode. Isn't that the whole pull to the it is alcoholic monster? As if I, I am drinking a Monster Energy drink. And that's absurd because that is 6%. Wow. And you don't even, not even a taste. Does it have- Okay, but wait, this is really dangerous for, okay, I don't know if you guys have ever heard a story, this story before, but somebody that I used to work with accidentally brought a White Claw to work, like while <laughs> they were, like they thought it was a, a seltzer, a water seltzer. And so they accidentally brought a white claw to work and were because they didn't know what it was. Their their kid had it in the fridge and it was when white claw first came out. This was like years ago. I an adult did this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But Every couldn't you see if okay, this guy was like older, like yeah. in his sixty late late sixties. Okay. Well, yeah, I, guess, I mean, I guess I could see it. Maybe if he hadn't drank wa sparkling water before. Every sparkling water that I know of. Maybe there are some out there that don't come in a beer can type can, and then a white claw comes in the cylindrical can, right? No, not the ones your mom drinks. Yeah, I guess San there's Pellegrino. so. Ah, uh, you're right. There's so many brands. I guess I, I, I get it. It's just kind of funny. 
um white white claw has quite the branding on it but ray do, do you taste the malt in it i hate malt beverages i don't taste it okay and i will say it would be hard to mix this up with a regular monster very largely on the can it says hard six <laughs> percent wait put it against your screen so we can see it oh yeah see because it you know it's the same branding but they do make it very clear right yeah wow ray but, i can't yeah. believe you brought unleash the beast live to the podcast amazing oh yeah had to i, I had to find it first of all and that actually does remind me of uh, something you brought up last episode there, Mitch. And uh, do you want to touch on that? It does. It's very in the same vein of what I want to talk about first. But before you do, I think we should have a tradition on here. If we're trying something that we brought up on the podcast, I want to I give it a rating out of 10. Give it, give 10. it the old rating. Yeah. Well, I'm never, I've never been a huge monster fan. So that is going to harshly affect their grade. Um, in my opinion, as far as these kind of drinks go, you have the Bud Light sodas, the seltzery, but it's not really a seltzer kind of drink. I would give it six and a half. Six and a half. You heard it here I first, like, folks. I feel like for a seltzer, that's pretty good. Yeah. And a I'm very, not a big yeah. seltzer guy, so. A very subjective six and a half out of 10. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, that is completely personal. Everyone's going to be different on that. So it, it's so funny. Um, You know, the my freaking ring light just died. Seriously. Like if you guys are <laughs> watching it, on YouTube again. right click. now, I just went dark. I wonder. Click it again. Yeah, it's dead. I, I, I guess it's dead. So I'm going to be a little bit darker on today's show. I apologize. But yeah, in the same vein, we started talking about this at the very end of last episode. Dude, Sunny D, seriously, the, the seltzers have gone too far, man. Sunny D putting out a seltzer is, that's BS. That sucks. That, I have so much childhood nostalgia for Sunny D. And now we're going with some crappy seltzer that's gonna have sunny d branding on it i'm just i'm not a fan i've not tried it but okay. i'm not a fan why I disagree yeah i do too ray why do you disagree i'm gonna disagree because sunny d branded that to you while you were a child correct you're 28 turning 29 you're at the age that if you go out and buy sunny d it's kind of freaking weird if you go out and you buy a Sunny D seltzer and it, I did, I did a little bit of research in between these because I was a little curious and it's supposedly has that same orange tangy flavor. And if that is the case, this could be epic. One of, one of the better seltzers that's ever come out. If it truly does taste like Sunny D. Look, I know where you guys are coming from. I see what you're saying. All I'm saying is. Some things are just better left in the past. When I'm thinking about myself on a Saturday morning, nine years old, almost 20 years ago, according to you, <laughs> sitting on my couch watching Rocket Power, and that commercial comes on, and the kids are out on the beach playing Frisbee, and the Golden Retriever stock ryan holmes type of dog in america runs down the sidewalk with the kids and the mom 
there's the camera in the fridge and it opens and the mom puts the gallon of Sunny D in the fridge and then all the kids run in and Johnny passes the Frisbee to his mom and she barely catches it and says, oh my gosh, I didn't think you'd throw it at me. And they all go in the fridge and they grab their Sunny D. That's what Sunny D is about to me. And I, I, I read up on this. The CEO was talking about people being so passionate about this iconic brand and they are. And I agree. It is weird if I go in to buy Sunny D for myself, but not for my kids. And I don't have any, but no one knows that. 28 turning 29 is old enough to have kids. So maybe it's for my kids. You're not wrong, but I will say this. It is something that I'm excited about. And apparently it will be available at select Walmart locations. So you can count on me finding one of these select Walmart locations and bringing this to the podcast because I want to mm-hmm. know. Hey, we what do you to, think? We need, we need a Mitch taste test to see what you think. I personally, I personally agree with Ray. I think it brings back the nostalgia. I think it's current where we at in our lives now, drinking seltzers and not drinking a gallon of Sunny D. I think that you can still serve it to your kids. I feel like it's not as popular anymore. So it really that like defeats the whole entire purpose of us going to the store and getting a jug of Sunny D. Like now you're buying organic fresh squeezed orange juice for your kids and you would never drink, have them drink Sunny D in today's, you know, just how everything's going today. We're just leaning more healthy. And I feel like Sunny D traditionally is not healthy. It's probably full of sugar and not even any real juice. So I feel like it's totally appropriate. Look, I I get it. And I think most people are probably on your side. I'm just saying, when I think about little Mitch 1999, watching Rocket Power on the couch, I think some things are better left in the past. And that's just me. And again, part of it is I think people have gone too far with the seltzers. I don't think... Carhartt needs to have a seltzer, okay? I don't think Under Armour needs a seltzer. I don't think everybody needs a seltzer, but apparently everyone disagrees. So that's fine. I'm just going to sit on the other side of this. And if you do you, if you like it, that's what social drinkers is all about anyway. Do what you do. Love it. We are supportive. And I am too. I just don't, I'm not on that side. Now I want to play a little devil's advocate for you because... As a as a businessman, Mitch, how do you feel about the play? I think it's an expert marketing play to play on that nostalgia. I agree. It, it is a real. It's going to sell like crazy. I'm probably going to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here trashing it. I'm probably going to buy it. But I'm just saying, I I'm just over the new seltzers. I I, I really yeah. Am. I, I get it. That, sure. That's. That's really where this is all stemming from. But Kate, what do you got going on this week? So I mentioned this lightly in another episode, and I want to talk to you guys about Harry Craddock. First, do you know who Harry Craddock is, either of you? I do. I don't. Mitch, what do you know about him? Harry Craddock, I believe, is from London. And... I don't know if he was the founder of the Savoy. The Savoy is one of the most legendary cocktail bars in the world. It's very exclusive, very swanky. But Harry Craddock wrote the Savoy cocktail book. I can't remember the year that it was published. Early 1900s, I want to say. 
But that that that's the extent of what I know is that Harry Craddock wrote the Savoy cocktail book or published the Savoy cocktail book. Yes. Yeah, you're right. So he was born in, in uh, London. I think you said London, England. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so he was born in England in 1875. And if you're in the cocktail space, like I feel like this is just something you have to know. So we're going to we're going to give you a little bit of rundown for him of him. So he's one of the most famous bartenders in history. As Mitch said, he published the Savoy cocktail book, which is still to this day, one of the most popular cocktail books in the entire world, along with the one that Ray said yesterday, which is the ultimate bartender's guide, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so his story is that when he was 22, he went over to America because he wanted to work for work at bars in America. So he went over to America, started working for a string of bars. He was a bartender to a bunch of different places. They didn't really, nothing, he didn't do anything crazy in his career during that time. Um, So it's not really mentioned, but he was there for years, 20 plus years. And then in um, 1916, when he was 41 years old, he became a U.S. citizen. And in 1918, the war breaks out Hmm. and he gets drafted. And so a couple years later, prohibition hits in 1920. And so these like this string of like four years is just not good for the United States. So literally they say the day that prohibition hits, he leaves and moves back to London where he starts working at a cocktail bar called the Savoy. Well, the Savoy, he's working at the Savoy and they decide that they want to Americanize it and they want it to be like an American bar and they want to hire an American bartender. Well, they're about to let everyone go. And he's like, I, he starts speaking in his American accent. He's like, I, I'm actually American. <laughs> and, you know, cause he worked, he lived there for 20 plus years and they're like, okay, yeah, you're hired. So he ends up working at the Savoy for years became becomes a famous bartender there and publishes the Savoy cocktail book. The, Very interesting. The history is interesting. If you guys don't have the Savoy cocktail book, we're going to put the link in the show notes. You need to get it. And Kate, one of the funny things, and Ray, I think you'll appreciate this. One of the funny things about that book is the measurements. If you look at the measurements, for example, a Manhattan It'll just say, let. there's a lot of different um, Manhattan recipes out there, but let's just say you go uh, two and a half ounces of rye to one ounce of vermouth, for example. All it'll say is two and a half parts rye, one part vermouth. So you don't get a recipe measurement, you just get a ratio measurement. So Mm -hmm. you could make like 50 Manhattans at once from the Savoy and not have to do any mental math other than, you know, go on your phone and calculate the times too. But it, it's pretty funny to look at because it'll just be like three parts gin, one part dry vermouth. <laughs> it's it's just funny. I love it so much. Designed for bartenders. Yeah, what it exactly. Is. Exactly. Make more than one. Yep. Yeah. Exactly well, right. it's funny because they also do like a lump of sugar. Like that could literally be a huge lump of sugar on a huge spoon or a tiny little spoon with just like a little bit of sugar. Yeah. So it's funny. But one other thing too that I found interesting when I was doing a little bit of research about him is that, and we talk, we always talk about this, how it's 
what's recorded and it's just kind of funny. He is said to be the last bartender to shake a cocktail legally before prohibition started. Interesting. Interesting. How in the entire United States do you measure that? I have no idea, but that's the rumor. Interesting. I like the rumor. We'll go with it. Harry Craddock was the last legal shake of a cocktail before prohibition in the United States. Another thing that you heard here first on the Social Drinkers podcast, there's so much misinformation on this podcast. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah, so it kind of seems like an unmeasurable fact, but yeah, yeah, whatever. So speaking of speaking of bartenders and bars, um, new in Washington, D.C., is a bar called um, the Binge Bar. And uh, believe it or not, this is an alcohol free bar. So they Ah. serve exclusively zero proof drinks. It was um, established by a woman uh, who was on a flight to the Dominican Republic and was flipping through a magazine and uh, learned about the Sands Bar, which is a cocktail spot in Austin, Texas. And they also serve exclusively zero-proof drinks. And this woman had been uh, sober for two years following a DUI. And she thought, what better way than, what better way to get back into the bar life than to open one of these herself? And she ended up uh, getting space in D.C. and it just worked out good for her. And she's opening that up. And I think that's very cool because I know... A couple people who unfortunately have DUIs and cannot drink <laughs> and miss the bar life. And I think that uh, it's great to be able to get them out and have fun again without uh, getting into any legal issues or moral issues. Yeah, this is becoming more and more popular. And I would agree with you, Ray. I am here for it. I I think if you've listened to the first episode, you know what type of drinker I am. And I feel like this kind of environment where you don't have alcohol added to it is something that I would really enjoy because we talk about, you know, the art, the science and the industry of alcohol. And it doesn't just have to be alcohol, but it's beverages. And it allows people who either don't like to drink, don't want to drink, can't drink to go out and enjoy themselves and also it gives other it gives people who just don't want to drink as much something else to do sometimes you're sitting here and you're like I want to go do something but I don't feel like drinking tonight and I feel like a bar like this is perfect for that and yeah I think that's so cool when we were in New York I actually saw a wine shop that only served non-alcoholic wine which I thought was really interesting I agree I'm here for it too. And I think one of the things that might surprise people, I'm going to do a few shameless plugs. So first plug is go back and listen to episode zero of the social drinkers podcast. One of the things we're huge on is community. That's what we're most passionate about. We're not most passionate about alcohol, the art science and industry of it. We're passionate about building a community of people who love to dive into mixology or dive into the science of how spirits or beer are made or nerd out on wine regions or develop communities and friendships and relationships at places like a bar or whatever. And um, the second, this leads into the second shameless plug is the 
NA non-alcoholic industry is exploding. I'm not going to dive into the numbers. If you want to dive into the numbers, subscribe to our newsletter. It's called Shots. It comes out every single Thursday. And we talk about industry news very heavily in that newsletter. And you can see the numbers that I'm talking about when it comes to the NA industry. So we've gone through it on multiple occasions where you're seeing just humongous spikes in the percentage of non-alcoholic sales when it comes to non-alcoholic beers, uh, mocktails, uh, sober bars, which is what these are. That's what these are referred to as sober bars. And so I think that if you really want to dive into this and get an idea of what's going on in the space, check out our newsletter. I think you'll really enjoy it if this is something that you're interested in. But yeah, I'm I'm here for it too. I mean, think about it. There's people who can't drink because they got a DUI or can't drink because they're an alcoholic or um, don't want to drink because frankly, it's not the best thing for you. It's not. It's factually not that great for you. It's one of the things that I choose to do that I know is bad for me, but I just really enjoy it. So I just continue to do it and I've cut back heavily on it because it's not good for you. So that's kind of where I stand on it. Um, but I'm here for whatever view that you have. And I just want to make sure that everybody listening knows that we want to develop a community. So if you don't drink, that doesn't mean that you won't fit in here at Social Drinkers. I just want to say that. I don't know if you guys have anything to add, but I, I felt that's important to say there. No, I would definitely agree. I would say that that drinking has nothing to do with being a social drinker it, to an extent drinking alcohol has nothing to do with being a social drinker there we go is what i would like to say <laughs> we're a very supportive group and we want everybody that wants to be here to be here because we all have to drink exactly. water right <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i personally think that if you are if you own a restaurant or a bar and you are not having mocktails, non-alcoholic beverages on your menu, I think that you are 100% missing the mark. There are so many times when I go out to a restaurant and I do not want to drink. You're driving. You don't feel like drinking. You, I, I've exceeded my two drink limit for the week. Like I, whatever it is, and you want something to drink and not just want to order a tonic and lime then you want a fun cocktail. And there's actually a bar here. I'm going to, I'm going to give them a little shout out here in Cleveland. It's called cloak and dagger. Mm -hmm. It is the coolest bar ever in, in the Cleveland area, at least. Um, and it's this cool, like dark bar that always is changing up their cocktail menu. And they offer a variety of mocktails. And I went with my friends and one of my friends was drinking and she literally got the same drink as me, but just a mocktail. And so I think that if you're in that space or you're thinking about getting into that space and you're not offering those options, you need to think again. Well, I think... To reference, Ray made a little joke about, as a businessman, what do you think <laughs> about the move? As a businessman, I think if you're not looking at the data and realizing that this is a massive opportunity, you're frankly an idiot. I mean, like, I, I, I'm sorry, but if you're not paying attention to the non-alcoholic market and you're in the food and bev space, dude, get out of the food and bev space and go find something where you don't have to look at data and keep uh, keep up on trends. Because it, 
it's exploding. Like I said, go to our newsletter, look at the numbers. It's it, it's crazy what's happening. But I, I also want to second the cloak and dagger cloak and dagger shout out because cloak and dagger rocks bar with a literary theme. You feel so sophisticated when you're in there. It's amazing. So one more thing on this bar before we before we move on from this topic and something that I think Kate and Mitch will think is very cool is that art from local artists is going to be seen throughout this bar. So she is going to have art from murals and such from local artists placed in the bar. There's going to be a big um, mural of the bar's logo outside of it. It's she has big plans for local artists. How do you feel about that? She's a social she's a social drinker. She's involving the community. <laughs> that is amazing. I mean, even if they're not drinking artists, if they don't partake in alcohol, that is amazing. I love it so much. Yeah, I I love that. I love a local play. I love when you op- you go to a place like I want to go to Washington DC just to go to this place because it has it's incorporating the local scene. I don't want to go somewhere that's just a um just like a what am I what what's the word I'm trying to say? Chain? Yeah. I don't want to just go to a chain place when I when I go visit a new city. So I absolutely love that little tidbit. The little tip for everybody listening. If you travel a lot, you need to make a rule. We have this rule in our family. No chains. No chains when you travel to a new city. Absolutely Go explore not. the local scene. Yeah. If you, Unless if you to, you're in the middle of a trip. Sure. That is that, the exception. Yes, totally. Totally different. Also, like, if you're in an airport, totally different. <laughs> there, there are some... There are some, Or if you're in a city you don't necessarily want to be in. You know what I mean? Like... There are situations. Uh, yeah, there are situations where the chain works. So we're coming up on time. Do you guys know about in the history vein? I feel like this has been a little bit of news, a little bit of history in this podcast episode. Do you guys know about chartreuse? Do you know what chartreuse is? It's a color. It is a color. <laughs> I've, def- also- I've definitely heard of it. I feel like I've seen it on in cocktails on cocktail menus, but I don't know too much about it or what it is. Yeah. So chartreuse is really interesting because it's an herbal liqueur, but only monks in the French Alps know the recipe. It's literally a commonly sold, we can go buy it, liqueur, but only a select few people in the world know the recipe to it does jay shetty know the recipe because he was a monk was he a monk in the french alps (laughs) i don't know if he's a monk in the french alps i don't think he was a monk in the french alps i'm not gonna say yes or no because i'm not positive but i don't think he was but let me i'm gonna go to my notes really quick because this is crazy okay the fact that we we can go buy it it's it's expensive it's 50 to 80 bucks a bottle depending on where you're at it's it's pretty expensive that and, was my question was the price point. Yeah. I mean, you got to think with only a select few people knowing the true recipe, it's going to be probably pretty pricey, but that's not that bad. I feel like they could charge a lot more if people really liked it. The problem is it's a liqueur, right? We can find substitutes and I'm going to go through uh, a couple that you can substitute, but basically 
the brand chartreuse was registered in 1840, but they've been making chartreuse since the 1600s. It's oh it's actually pretty crazy. And it started as an elixir. So it was a pain management medication is okay. the way that it, it came about. Kind of like milkshakes. Kind of like milkshakes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so they started making this and it's made from around, and this is by estimations, because nobody knows the true recipe, 130 different herbs and plants. That's kind of what this comes from, according to people. So chartreuse comes in two different versions. There is chartreuse jaune, which Kate will know because we're taking French lessons. It's yellow chartreuse and chartreuse verte, green chartreuse. And there's a key difference in both of these. You guys want to take a guess at what the key difference between chartreuse jaune and chartreuse verte uh, is? Maybe the herbs that are used. Okay, good guess. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. okay, it's actually the potency of the alcohol. So, oh, interesting. Chartreuse verte. Let me get the actual proof pulled up. It's bottled at a hundred and ten proof. It's fifty-five percent alcohol. Yeah. Oh. Now, for those of you that are newbies to the alcohol space, really quickly, we're not going to spend any time on this, but proof, divide the proof by two, and that's the percentage of alcohol that the beverage you're drinking is. So 110 proof is 55% alcohol. It's a hefty, it's a hefty kick. That Kind of badass. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. And yellow is a bit lighter. So it's bottled at 86 proof. So a little bit lighter little bit more mild it's still it's still not light but it, it's more mild than the green um so i just think it's interesting that there's literally people in the french alps up in the mountains monks making this alcohol and and, and you can go buy it it's pretty crazy that those folks are the only people in the world that know the recipe to this liqueur so something that this made me think of and i don't know why but it just popped into my head is Ace Ventura, the second one, when he's when he's up with the monks and I can just see it. I could just see him up there making chartreuse. You know? Dude, <laughs> it, it would be a great activity. Um, some of you Do are you, probably wondering, go ahead, Kate. I was going to ask if you knew what cocktails that you would use chartreuse in or how you would incorporate chartreuse into your drinking. Great question. Great question. So the last word is one that I've had, and it's going to be the most popular cocktail of chartreuse. If you're looking for other ones beyond the last word, do a quick Google search. There's tons that pop up where chartreuse is utilized. But chartreuse is utilized with gin, maraschino liqueur, and lime juice in the last word. And it, they, they use um, green chartreuse. It's a strong cocktail. The last word, it might be the last word of your night, depending on where you have it um, within your drinking regimen, because that thing packs a punch. I've had it at a couple of bars. I'm a gin fan. And the last word is, it's a great, great cocktail. Um, yeah, I don't know. Have you guys ever had chartreuse? Ray, you didn't even, you thought it was a color. So <laughs> it is a color. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I know. Okay, have you had a last word or 
Have I? Where did you have one? I had one. I think I may have had it at Cloak and Dagger. That might have been where I had the last mm. word. I've had I it don't at, know. Do you, at cocktail bar. Do you know the flavor profile of chartreuse? Uh, chartreuse is very herbal, so it's earthy. It's got that kind of like... So it'd be paired with like a gin or a vodka mm-hmm. or a tequila yeah. or a silver tequila, maybe? Yeah. Hmm. I probably have. Yeah, I, think... I don't know for sure. I'm definitely going to have to try it. It is kind of pricey for a liqueur, I will say. Yeah. I'd have to look at the shelf life because I feel like chartreuse isn't something that you would drink all the time. And I feel like that's probably something to look into when you're looking to buy a new liqueur is their shelf life and how often you're going to drink it depending on the price. And I feel like $50 for in a liqueur is pretty expensive because you typically only use like a half of an ounce. Yeah. That's a great point. I didn't think about that. I didn't do that in my research. I don't know what the shelf life on chartreuse is. So that's a good point Kate brings up. If you're looking at liqueurs, take a look at the shelf life because it does differ based on what you're looking at. Well, another thing to think about too is it's going to be expensive. You're paying for that exclusivity. Totally. Of exactly. Yeah. And if you don't- a people can make this. Right. And if you don't want to pay for the exclusivity, I did look up a couple of substitutions. I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, I think, on this first one. It's called Dolin Genepe. I think that's how you say it. That is a substitution that's frequently used. And then White Sambuca, which I've seen on shelves all over the place, is another one that can kind of mimic that earthy herbal flavor that chartreuse will give. I will say... Um, I have not had Dolin Genepe or White Sambuca, but I have had chartreuse. And based on everything that I've read from people online, the substitutions don't quite match what chartreuse will bring. And with such a private recipe, you would expect that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's it for this week. think so. Yeah. Kate, you want to take us out of here? Yeah. Thank you all for listening. And make sure, if you're not already, to subscribe. We post weekly podcasts, so you won't want to miss next week's episode. So make sure to subscribe so that it just downloads right into your queue on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to subscribe on YouTube as well if you prefer that avenue. And you can follow us on at We Are Social Drinkers on any of the platforms that you prefer and again thank you guys so much for listening that's right everybody we're on all the platforms (laughs) just like everybody else we're on all the platforms cheers i would love to cheer you cheers you but it's gone Gone? oh gone. well better go grab another one (laughs) all right right. see you guys next week